Good evening, and welcome to Numa. I'm your host, Daniel Finnerin. This is the sixth installment of my series, Fall Asleep With Me, a series by which I hope to ease your transition from wakefulness to rest. From busyness and activity to uninterrupted repose. My voice, as strong a soporific as any you'll find behind the counter of your local pharmacy, is all but guaranteed to guide you to sleep. Should it fail to do so, you'll have nonetheless enjoyed as a compensatory gift some of the finest literature ever written. This evening's episode, to which we'll dedicate the next half hour or so, is Henry David Thoreau's masterpiece, Walden. Settle your mind. Turn down or off the brightness of your screen. Close your eyes. Concentrate on two things and two things only. Your breath, the rise and fall of your chest, and the sound of my voice. Tomorrow morning, when you wake, subscribe to this channel and leave a five-star rating assuming we consummate our time together with sleep. Without further ado, I give you Walden by Henry David Thoreau.
every morning was a cheerful invitation to make my life of equal simplicity. And I may say, innocence with nature herself. I have been as sincere a worshipper of Aurora as the Greeks. I got up early and bathed in the pond. That was a religious exercise and one of the best things I did. They say that characters were engraven on the bathing tub of King Chikthang to this effect. Renew thyself completely each day. Do it again and again and forever again. I can understand that. Morning brings back the heroic ages. I was as much affected by the faint hum of a mosquito making its invisible and unimaginable tour through my apartment at earliest dawn when I was sitting with the door and windows open as I could be by any trumpet that ever sang of fame. It was Homer's Requiem, itself an Iliad and Odyssey in the air, singing its own wrath and wanderings. There was something cosmical about it, a standing advertisement till forbidden of the everlasting vigor and fertility of the world. The morning, which is the most memorable season of the day, is the awakening hour. Then there is less somnolence in us, and for an hour at least, some part of us awakes which slumbers all the rest of the day and night. Little is to be expected of that day, if it can be called day, to which we are not awakened by our genius, but by the mechanical nudgings of some servitor, are not awakened by our own newly acquired 
force and aspirations from within, accompanied by the undulations of celestial music instead of factory bells and a fragrance filling the air to a higher life than we fell asleep from. And thus the darkness bear its fruit and prove itself to be good, no less than light. That man who does not believe that each day contains an earlier, more sacred and auroral hour than he has yet profaned has despaired of life and is pursuing a descending and darkening way. After a partial cessation of his sensuous life, the soul of man, or its organs rather, are reinvigorated each day and his genius tries again what noble life it can make. All memorable events, I should say, transpire in the morning and in a morning atmosphere. The Vedas say, all intelligences awake with the morning. Poetry and art, and the fairest and most memorable of the actions of men, date from such an hour. All poets and heroes, like Memnon, are the children of Aurora and emit their music at sunrise. To him whose elastic and vigorous thought keeps pace with the sun, the day is a perpetual morning. It matters not what the clocks say or the attitudes and labors of men. Morning is when I am awake, and there is a dawn in me. Moral reform is the effort to throw off sleep. Why is it that men give so poor an account of their day if they have not been slumbering? They are not such poor calculators. If they had not been overcome with drowsiness, they would have performed something. The millions are awake enough for physical labor, but only one in a million is awake enough 
for effective intellectual exertion. Only one in a hundred millions to a poetic or divine life. To be awake is to be alive. I have never yet met a man who was quite awake. How could I have looked him in the face? We must learn to reawaken and keep ourselves awake. Not by mechanical aids, but by an infinite expectation of the dawn, which does not forsake us in our soundest sleep. I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by a conscious endeavor. It is something to be able to paint a particular picture or to carve a statue and so to make a few objects beautiful. But it is far more glorious to carve and paint the very atmosphere and medium through which we look, which morally we can do. To affect the quality of the day that is the highest of arts. Every man is tasked to make his life, even in its details, worthy of the contemplation of his most elevated and critical hour. If we refused, or rather used up such paltry information as we get, the oracles would distinctly inform us how this might be done. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die discover that I had not lived.
I did not wish to live what was not life. Living is so dear. Nor did I wish to practice resignation unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life. To live so sturdily and Spartan-like as to put to root all that was not life. To cut a broad swath and shave close. To drive life into a corner and reduce it to its lowest terms. And if it proved to be mean, why then, to get the whole and genuine meanness of it and publish its meanness to the world? Or if it were sublime, to know it by experience and be able to give a true account of it in my next excursion. For most men, it appears to me, are in a strange uncertainty about it. Whether it is of the devil or of God, and have somewhat hastily concluded that it is the chief end of man here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Still we live meanly like ants. Though the fable tells us that we were long ago changed into men. Like pygmies we fight with cranes. It is error upon error, and clout upon clout, and our best virtue has for its occasion a superfluous and evitable wretchedness. Our life is frittered away by detail. An honest man has hardly need to count more than his ten fingers, or in extreme cases, he may add his ten toes and lump the rest. Simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. I say, let your affairs be as two or three not a hundred or a thousand. Instead of a million, count half a dozen. 
and keep your accounts on your thumbnail. In the midst of this chopping sea of civilized life, such are the clouds and storms and quicksands and thousand and one items to be allowed for that a man has to live. If he would not founder and go to the bottom and not make his port at all by instead reckoning. And he must be a great calculator indeed who succeeds. Simplify, simplify. Instead of three meals a day, if it be necessary, eat but one. Instead of a hundred dishes, five. And reduce other things in proportion. Our life is like a German confederacy made up of petty states with its boundary forever fluctuating so that even a German cannot tell you how it is bounded at any moment. The nation itself with all its so-called internal improvements, which, by the way, are all external and superficial, is just such an unwieldy and overgrown establishment, cluttered with furniture and tripped up by its own traps, ruined by luxury and heedless expense, by want of calculation and a worthy aim, as the million households in the land. And the only cure for it, as for them, is in a rigid economy, a stern and more than Spartan simplicity of life and elevation of purpose. It lives too fast. Men think that it is essential that the nation have commerce and export ice and talk through a telegraph and ride 30 miles an hour without a doubt whether they do or not. But whether we should live like baboons or like men is a little uncertain. 
if we do not get out sleepers and forge rails and devote days and nights to the work, but go on to tinkering upon our lives to improve them, who will build railroads? And if railroads are not built, how shall we get to heaven in season? But if we stay at home and mind our business, who will want railroads? We do not ride on the railroad. It rides upon us. Why should we live with such hurry and waste of life? We are determined to be starved before we go hungry. Men say that a stitch in time saves nine, and so they take a thousand stitches today to save nine tomorrow. As for work, we haven't any of any consequence. We have the St. Vitus's dance. We cannot possibly keep our heads still. If I should only give a few pulls at the parish bell rope, as for a fire, that is, without setting the bell. There is hardly a man on this farm in the outskirts of Concord, notwithstanding that press of engagements which was his excuse so many times this morning. Nor a boy, nor a woman, I might almost say, but would forsake all and follow that sound. Not mainly to save property from the flames, but, if we will confess the truth, much more to see it burn, since burn it must, and we be it known, did not set it on fire, or to see it put out and have a hand in it, if that is done as handsomely. Yes. Even if it were the parish church itself. Hardly a man takes a half hour's nap after dinner. 
And when he wakes, he holds up his head and asks, What's the news? As if the rest of mankind had stood his sentinels. Some give directions to be waked every half hour, doubtless for no other purpose. And then, to pay for it, they tell what they have dreamed. After a night's sleep, the news is as indispensable as the breakfast. Pray tell me anything new that has happened to a man anywhere on this globe. And he reads it over his coffee and rolls that a man has had his eyes gouged out this morning on the Wachito River. Never dreaming the while that he lives in the dark, unfathomed mammoth cave of this world and has but the rudiment of an eye himself. Good night, sweet dreams, and farewell from Numa. <laughs>